Hello, and welcome to What in Tarnation, Tar Heel Blog's hot take podcast. On this episode, we're wrapping up UNC's loss to Appalachian State. I'm Tanya Bondurant, and with me as always is Brandon Anderson. Brandon, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm probably doing better than anybody that got to watch that game. Um, I actually had been with family all weekend, so I didn't get to see what happened. So, Tanya, this should be a fun one because guess what? I get to let you do all the talking. That's not really going to be fun considering the outcome of the game, but I, I so appreciate that. Well, we'll at least give it a try. So, yeah, um, I basically just lined up a bunch of questions for you. I'm sure that I'm going to learn something along the way. So I guess we should go ahead and dive in. I guess so. All right. Well, the first question I had was actually in regards to the turnovers that happened during the game. Um, Just looking at the numbers alone, that seems to be what stood out the most. How egregious do you feel like those turnovers were? And do you think that they will be a problem for the team going forward? I mean, they were egregious in terms of actual, like, game significance. They directly led to 14 points for Appalachian State. And in a game that came down to three points, those points were absolutely critical. And there were two picks. Um, It was Hal's first two picks of the year which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. We all knew that at some point he was actually going to throw an interception. Um, I think the the strip sack for a touchdown was more of a breakdown on the O-line because, I mean, Hal never saw that guy coming. And they just came up behind him, knocked him down, knocked the ball out of his hand, scooped it up, uh, and ran it in for a touchdown. So in terms of, you know, how egregious they were, I don't think it was anything, like, outlandish. Um, I think it's probably all sort of, like, standard stuff. The thing that stands out to me just is how sort of broken down the offensive line is. And I think you're going to see how, you know, have trouble not getting sacked. And unfortunately, some of those sacks might lead to fumbles and that sort of thing. But, yeah, I mean, as long as the O-line is banged up, I think that's something that you're probably going to run into. Uh, Will it be a problem going forward? I mean, probably, as long as the O-line is still having depth issues. And then also you have a freshman quarterback. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to make bad reads. He's going to make some bad decisions. But that's football. That happens to the best of them. So I don't think it was anything particularly wild in that regard, but it just happened to be at a point where it directly led to two scores for App State. And in a game that was so close, they just couldn't afford that. All right. Um, so I just looking at the box score, um, it seems as though the offense – uh, was struggling to start out of the gate once again. Um, what did you see during the game, and do you feel like there's any reoccurring themes now that we're four games in in terms of how they're kind of getting things going? I mean, starting slow is definitely a recurring theme. Um, in this game, I thought it was going to be different because Michael Carter took the opening kick 
75 yards and set up a touchdown really early. And I kind of thought, well, hey, you know, they finally learned their lesson. They can't wait till the fourth quarter to show up. And unfortunately, they scored that touchdown and then had a very hard time finding points again until almost the end of the second quarter. Um, Appalachian State did not have that problem. They scored a field goal on their opening drive and then just kind of kept at it. Um, The offense had less than 100 total yards for the entire first half. Now, when you look at the total yards for the game and you see 469, you think, hey, like that sounds pretty good. And it is pretty good, but... I mean, they had, I want to say it was 95 or 92 total yards for the first half. So all of that came in the second half pretty much, and it only ended up being 14 points after halftime. So it was another situation where they kind of dug themselves into a hole. They almost were able to dig out of it, which is a very similar story to the Wake Forest game, but they just couldn't get over that last little hump. And, you know, you can blame the turnovers that cost them 14 points. You can kind of blame the fact that after that opening touchdown, they didn't get into the end zone again until I think it was one second left in the first half. Um, But it all combined to be sort of ineffective until the second half. And unfortunately, it was too little too late. Yeah, I. that's one thing that I just – I can't quite figure out why this is something that keeps happening, the whole starting slow. And then the second half, it's like they wake up, and by the time that they get out of bed, the whole day's passed them by type thing. I hope they get it figured out soon. I really hope they get it figured out soon. Um, we'll see what happens once they – get into conference play not counting Clemson um because we know how that's gonna go so Sam Howell surpassed 300 yards for what I believe is the first time this season what did you see from Howell in the game and do you think that he performed better than his outing against Wake I do think he was better than he was against Wake against Wake he looked very frazzled and he looked like a freshman I did not get that sense from him in this game it this game seemed a lot like all of the issues that have been building with injuries just came out all at once um I feel like that was more of the problem than how um I will say that the the fact that they put in Jace Reuter for one play and he promptly got hurt. It's a little concerning because he's literally the only backup of any sort of, like, regard. So the fact that they might be without him, especially with Clemson coming up and the O-line being depleted, I very much worry for Sam Howell's uh, well-being. Um, that's it's concerning. I understand what Matt Brown was probably doing. I think he probably wanted to give them a slightly different look, but it backfired 
spectacularly and it could have really long-term repercussions um, if if Hal is going to have to stand up to a really, really, really good Clemson defense behind a very battered and broken offensive line without a true backup to sort of come in where necessary. Yeah, and I think that if anything were to happen to Howell, that's when that really tough conversation comes in where it's like, do you slide Chaz Surratt back into the quarterback spot? You might have to. Uh, Somebody put who the third-string quarterback is, and I'm going to be honest, I'd never heard that name. So (laughs) the fact that we've reached I've never heard that name, a little concerning. That's kind of like when Chad uh, Chad was talking about that player that came out onto the field that just didn't have a name on the back of his jersey. That type of territory, that's that's dangerous. It's a little dangerous. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, it's with some of the hits that Hal has taken, plus you add in Clemson on top of that. I know we're kind of looking ahead here, but it's scary. It's a little scary. Yeah, they're going to have to be extra careful. Thankfully, Howell seems like he's a tough individual. Mm-hmm. Let's hope that holds up because we really, 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 really need him to be healthy. Um, so I did take a look at Matt's Player of the Game article that came out today as we are recording this on Sunday. And uh, he had Javante Williams as the player of the game. Uh, he had 94 yards and had 5.9 yards per attempt. Could you elaborate a little bit on what we got to see from him yesterday? I mean, Javante was good. I think Javante has probably been one of my most surprising players of the season so far. If you had asked me coming into the year who Carolina's most effective uh, running back would have been, I probably would have said Michael Carter. And Carter's done good things, but... I just feel like Javante Williams has been more consistent. And unfortunately, a lot of Javante's yardage came on one drive. So that has the numbers inflated quite a bit. Uh, Not to take away from what he did, but um, I think it kind of makes the running game look a little more effective than it actually was against Appalachian State. And yeah, I mean... We've talked about it before. The fact that the running game has sputtered as much as it has seems like it has a strong correlation to the offense's struggles in general because it seems like Longo has really tried to lean on Javante Williams and Michael Carter, and sometimes it has just not worked or it feels like they've gone to it a little too much. And, I mean, we saw that right from the start in the South Carolina game in the first half. We saw that again in the Miami game in the second and third quarters. And, yeah, it just seems like when they start to rely too much on the running game that the offense overall suffers. And as good as Javante has been, I think Carolina is moving the ball best when he is complimenting how throwing it and yeah so unfortunately those numbers look better than 
they would have if it wasn't for that one long sustained drive where Javante picked up all that yardage. He still did really well, but it kind of goes to show you that for most of the game, the running game really wasn't working. And, I mean, maybe that has a lot to do with the fact that – or has a lot to do with why Carolina wasn't able to score more. Yeah, and going back to what you were saying about just that one long drive, I think that's been a theme this year because I I believe it was Tar Heel Illustrated I was reading, and they were talking about how in each game, whoever was like the leading rusher for the game, they basically had one play where they just broke out for a bunch of yardage. And so the numbers are really skewed right now when it comes to rushing, running yards. And I think we all know that's not necessarily a knock on the running backs completely. Like, you know, they it's a tough situation when you're talking about the run game because your offensive line has to be solid at minimum. And when it's in the state that UNC's offensive line is in, it's really hard. And I think that's also why it's hard to witness everything that Longo's been calling at times because it's just like I think he's having to pick between protecting his quarterback and letting him basically take the chances of getting hit more. Um there's ways to get around that you know quicker like plays that are designed for quicker passes things like that but also if the look's not there he's stranded on an island and he runs the risk of getting hit I get all that but at the same time it's just kind of like you kind of have to take your chances at some point right I mean it's also hard to know like what is being called and what is how making a decision on the fly yeah um there have been a lot of sort of sideways passes which I don't think anything infuriates me more in football than the sideways pass because it just seems to fail way more than it succeeds. And so you don't know if that's something that's being called from the bench or if that's how sort of throwing the safety lever and having to do something. And I don't know that we'll ever know where it lies on that spectrum. But, yeah, I think that when, when the offense is humming, it seems to be more through the air um, with a complement of running rather than running with some passing on the side. And, yeah, I don't know. It just it seems like if they could get that going the way that I know they want to, things would improve but so far it just hasn't clicked completely yeah hopefully they'll get it figured out soon um yeah I don't really know what else to say about that I will say that it's very surprising how little Antonio Williams has been used yeah where's he been like I I don't really understand if maybe he's low-key hurt or what's going on with that? Yeah, I mean, that is a decent guess because I don't think he got a single carry against Wake Forest, and he only got five, no, I'm sorry, three against Appalachian State. Um, 
it has definitely been more of a two-headed attack than a three-headed attack. And I'm not sure if he's somehow found his way into Matt Brown's doghouse or if he's low-key hurt or, or what's going on. But it's interesting to me that he hasn't been used more, particularly when it seems like the running game isn't clicking like they want it to because I mean if you've got a third option that's like a strong proven option it seems to me like you would give that a shot to see if that's any different than the other options that haven't been working super well so I don't know what's going on there but it is definitely something that stood out to me as a little bit bizarre it's also worth noting that it hasn't come up at all like not even in the post-game conferences the weekly conference it just hasn't come up it's a really weird situation yeah it is really weird and I mean maybe we'll find out at some point but it just it's kind of one of those like weird glaring things that I don't have an explanation for that I mean hey when you are trying to throw everything at the wall it's like well why not throw that at the wall too and we don't know we don't have an answer yeah Maybe we'll get one at some point. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, I will go over the defense with Tanya and also try to see if we can navigate the rest of the season in one quick synopsis. So we will be right back. All right, and we're back. Tanya, let's talk a little bit about what the defense was able to do. Um, Given the fact that App State scored so much in the first half, it appears to those that didn't see the game that Bateman's squad had a tough day. What was the reality of what happened, and do you think there's any major concerns to address? Well, I think the one thing to keep in mind here, probably more than anything, is that they were put into really bad situations. You can see that by the points off of turnovers. Seven of those points came with the offense on the field because that was when their defense sacked Howell and took it in for a touchdown. So you can't put that on the defense. I think the other thing that stands out to me is that uh, our defense allowed App State more than their average passing yards, but less than their average rushing yards. Um, I think when we were previewing this, we said that they had to stop them on the ground because App State had been good on the ground through their first two games. Well, they only got 161 yards on the ground, which, I mean, that's that's not nothing. For sure, that's more than Carolina had, but it was also under their average so far. Um, but passing yards, they'd only averaged about 140, 150 through the air yeah. through their first two games. Um, against competition that is honestly weaker than what Carolina should be. And um, they had 224 passing yards Saturday. So not great. But, I mean, we sort of held them under average in total yardage as well. Um, I thought Carolina was particularly good on defense in the red zone again, which is kind of something that we've seen throughout the season so far. Yes, the other team will get into the red zone, but Carolina's been pretty good about holding them to field goals instead of touchdowns, or else this could have gotten even uglier. Um, But I think that the defense has definitely been a little better 
than I would have expected. Um, there were a couple, I know, um, Miles Dorn had a pick that was like on his fingertips and he didn't come down with it. And, um, I'm pretty sure Appalachian scored after that. Um, so, you know, if you take that and swing it the other way, maybe that's a touchdown that doesn't happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I don't think it's the fault of the defense. Um, especially when you look at the points that they scored off of turnovers. Now, that's not to say that it's all the offense. Um, one particularly back-breaking thing was uh, Carolina scored and kicked it away with three minutes left to go in the game. And the defense had stopped them twice and set up third and five, um, pretty far on the other end of the field. And instead of stopping them on third down and and getting a quick three and out to give the offense time to set up for a field goal, um, Appalachian State's quarterback kept it and ran for considerable yardage and picked up the first down. And that chewed even more clock. So that was just one of those spots where they didn't find a way to get off the field when they needed to to preserve the clock. I know that Carolina's been good on third down, so it's not like that's been a problem, but it was a problem in that scenario where they just needed to find a way to get a stop on third and a decent amount of yardage, and they couldn't do it. And you got to think that if they had that extra little bit of clock, Maybe they get Noah Ruggles a little bit closer than 57 yards, 56 yards. 56, yeah. And and maybe he ties the game and sends it to overtime, and who knows what happens from there. Um, but, yeah, it, it was, again, just a hair away from being what they needed to do there. Yeah. The defense has definitely been put in some tough spots. Um, that's not to say they've been perfect. Um, there's all kinds of weird stuff that's happened with the defense from the South Carolina game to now, but I think all in all, they've been one of the better units on this team. So hopefully from this point forward, just keep everybody healthy and hopefully the offense will stop putting them in these tough positions because I mean, that's kind of what we had happen last year. I don't think that the defense is definitely better than last year, but I do think that the defense had enough good moments last year to where the offense should have been able to do something, and it just didn't happen. Um, So hopefully by the time that the season's done, that's something that gets correct and the offense will be able to help out the defense a little more. Yeah. And I think that we've still seen this year where the defense comes out just like so tough and they have to stay on the field so long that, you know, eventually you can bend, but not break, but eventually you do break if you're, if you keep having to bend 
And I think that that has been something that the defense has experienced this year so far. It's just like they go out there and they stand tough and they maybe hold them to a field goal instead of a touchdown. But then if you get a three and out and they're right back on the field, like they're not going to be at their best. So, yeah, it's it's a little tough. But I think they've done as well as they could reasonably do under those circumstances. No doubt. So, Tanya, my last question for you. The Heels are now 2-2, two and two, which is sadly an improvement over their record this time last year. How do you process the season to this point? And following what will likely be a loss to Clemson, do you think this team has what it takes to at least attain bowl eligibility in what has so far been an uninspired coastal division? I think 2-2 two and two is not terribly surprising to me. I think who the two wins and two losses were is surprising. Um, if you had asked me, I probably would have said, oh, we're 2-2. Two and two. Well, we probably lost to South Carolina and Miami, and we beat Wake Forest and Appalachian State. So it didn't happen that way. Um, but there was easily a nightmare scenario where Carolina went into – the Clemson game 0-4. Yeah. So this is a big improvement over that. Um, I do think that they have what it takes to find bowl eligibility just because there are some teams down the line that are not, like, clear-cut favorites, I think. Um, Clemson, in my mind, is sort of the last guaranteed I don't see it happening at all whatsoever game. Um, I think the other ones should at least be competitive, Um, even if Carolina can't win them. And I I don't expect them to run the table after Clemson or anything, but they're, they're not games that you look at on paper and think, oh, they have no shot. So I do think that they can find bowl eligibility if they play well. I think the, the injuries are a concern. And if more of those add up, it's going to be harder to see where they can win some of those sort of like coin flip games. But hopefully we get some of those injured players back and some of those coin flip games maybe slide a little bit more in our favor. But I think to this point, I'm happy with two and two. I think two and two is pretty good considering what happened last year and the fact that They have an all-new scheme. They have all-new coaches. We have a freshman quarterback. We've had a lot of injuries. All of that adding up and and being 2-2 I don't think is the worst thing in the world. I don't think 4-0 was realistic. Um, I think that would have been sort of the absolute fairy tale, but I'm not disappointed with 2-2. How do you feel about 2-2? I think when thinking about where UNC's at with their 2-2 two and two record, I have to keep in mind the fact that the two losses were one-possession games, basically. They lost to Wake by six points, so basically they just needed another touchdown. And then losing this one by a field goal, I feel like there'd be more reason to sound the alarms if they got completely beaten down against these two teams maybe in particular 
but given the fact that they didn't, that they showed some resolve and came back in the second half, basically the second half of these games is what tells me this can be done. They have it in them. They just need to execute earlier. Exactly. And so I don't feel super optimistic about what happens, but I don't feel super down either. Basically, I'm the shrug emoji when it comes to everything to this point. It can and probably will get better. That's basically my take. But the thing is, I don't know what their ceiling is to this point because the offensive line being as beat up as it is is a big problem. And the lack of depth on the on the defensive side of the ball is also a problem. So basically they need a lot of things to go right in every single game that they play. And sometimes it's gonna happen, sometimes it's not going to happen. And hopefully we're looking at a better situation next year, but next year's so far off that it's just it's beyond what I'm thinking about right now. So um, just kind of circling back around. Um, I think 2-2 is fine. Like you said, we could easily be 0-5 by the time the Clemson's game is done, and we're not. So the two teams that we did lose to, I think in the grand scheme of things doesn't matter. What matters is that 2-2 two and two is a reasonably decent record for what we thought and they're just going to have to get things going in these next few games I think the wildest thing to me is that there are a few plays that you could swing the other direction and this team would be undefeated yeah. and then there are a few plays you could swing the other way and they would be winless Yeah, like all of these games have been really close and the positive side is like, hey, if you do this, this, and this, you could have four wins right now. But then the the downside is if you hadn't done this, this, and this, you have zero wins right now. But I think that just, I mean, everyone's collective blood pressure has been raised by how close these games have been. But the fact that they've been in all of them, I think, is a credit to them. And hopefully they figure out a way to turn those two or three plays that they could swing back in their direction into positive outcomes. And like I said, there are a lot of games down the stretch that are kind of coin flips on paper. Yeah. And those two, three, four plays could mean the difference between a win and a loss. So and if they go their way, it could end up okay. And it's a different feel from last year, right? Because I feel like the way everything was set up last year, we knew that something was completely wrong and this year I don't necessarily feel like anything is completely wrong everything's fixable it's just we're in the post fedora era to where we still have remnants of fedora left over particularly in the depth department and having to navigate around some of that stuff is tough. So that's why I kind of talked about next year because Mac Brown's going to have more of his recruits coming in and hopefully filling in some of those spots that we don't really have right now. And 
long term, things should look pretty good, I feel like. But as of right now, just got to do what we can to hopefully reach that bowl eligibility. So, yeah, we'll see if they pull it off. Tanya, was there anything else before we sign off? I think I'm finished talking about how frustrating it was. Um, I I think that yesterday was frustrating because it was another loss to an in-state FBS team, and that's just like this dark cloud hanging over their heads until they find a way to break it. But onward and upward, not next week probably, but after that, onward and upward. <laughs> yeah, still got Duke and State. We'll see how that goes. It's doable. It's doable. More pro- Probably more so against Duke, but also State is not without their problems right now. So, yeah, I, I feel like if, as long as they keep working at it, there's a chance. There, there's a chance that they don't get swept in State because that would be painful. Here's hoping. Yeah. All right. Well, Tanya, where can the – Good people find you on Twitter. I am at Tanya Bonnerant and usually at Tar Heel Blog. All right, cool. And you can find me at THB Brandon. We'll be back later this week to discuss the Clemson game. Be sure to leave us a five-star review and also leave us a comment. Chad will read those on his next show. And as always, go Heels. Go Heels.